gathering is really just to highlight, and this podcast is to highlight some of the beautiful thing that's going on. We know there's a lot of negative things in the Muslim community that are being highlighted constantly. But yet there's so many gems in our community and so many special people and centers and organizations and people just don't know about them. So I, as an artist, I wanted to use my platform and the fact that, you know, people follow me on social media and all these type of things. And I travel a lot to be able to share some of those stories. So, yeah, uh, I'm honored to have you. Alhamdulillah. So there's a lot. And as lo looking around this museum, there's a lot of information and there's a lot of time that went into it. Um, so I guess the, first off, I know there's a lot of history to this physical location, the building. So I want to hear about the history of this building and then how it became what it is today. Okay. The history of this building was uh, built and developed by the descendants of the Bill family. The Bill family is the family that owned Yarrow Mahmoud, the famous Muslim in the George and Washington D.C. Georgetown area. So, um, the Bill family had owned a lot of property up in uh, Georgetown and Merlin. It was a very popular family. Um, matter of fact, they was this was a carriage house. They built it as a carriage house. This building and the building next door, the carriage house. They would paint the old carriages, and, and then they turned into a gas station. Mm. Back in 1973, the Muslims that were part of the Nation Islam brought this building. I'm not sure how long they had this building before they brought it in 1973, mm -hmm. but they brought it from the Bill family. And I found it very unique that the uh, family that freed a Muslim mm -hmm. in D.C. also was a family that brought, uh, sold the building to a Muslim uh, community. So Yara Mahmoud, and I know a little bit because I was reading the little section on him, but for those who don't know, who was he? What's his story? Yarrow Mahmoud was a Muslim from Guinea um, that lived in Georgetown. Yarrow Mahmoud uh, is a famous Muslim personality in uh, D.C., as well as there's a few other Muslim personalities that are famous. But what you find with Muslim personalities that are famous, you'll find a taqwa. They had a God consciousness. Mm -hmm. They were known for praying. They were mm -hmm. known for fasting, using their dicker beads. You also find Yarrow Mahmoud was an entrepreneur. Yarrow Mahmoud invested in three different investments. One to an older guy that had a business, and that went, uh, went under. He invested to a younger guy, thought that that younger guy would be more alive and, and, and be successful. That business went under. Then he invested in the Columbia Bank. He was one of the uh, first to invest in the Columbia Bank. And something happened, that went broke. So Yarrow wound, wound up saying that he's going to um, maintain and keep his own money. Yarrow was um, also known as a great swimmer. Mm he -hmm. was very industrious. Um, he had owned property in Georgetown. Um, they are doing an excavation now in Georgetown on his property that he once owned. Mm -hmm. So that's basically summary of Yarrow Mahmoud. So was he a freed slave? He, he got he... freed in 1798. He brought his own son's freedom and then he eventually brought his own wife's freedom. There's a good book about Yarrow Mahmoud. Uh, it's called From uh, the Slave Ship to Harvard, where the Yarrow's uh, descendants wound up going to Harvard. And there's like, 
some famous like uh, artists that drew him and stuff. Like he was a personality that people knew and loved. Like he was kind of famous in his day. He was a very famous personality. You, uh, there's two paintings that was done on Yara Mahmood, and they were done by famous painters. Mm -hmm. That they really, you know, they just didn't do anybody. And y'all, matter of fact, there's very few paintings of African-American people that was enslaved at that time. Mm -hmm. And y'all, Matt Moody is one of them. And there's two paintings, not just one, but two. And one of the most, one of them is hangs up in uh, Georgetown Public Library in, in the Peabody Room. And the other one is in Philadelphia Historical Society. And it was just sold for over $3 million. Mm -hmm. So y'all, Matt Moody is a very, very classic. Matter of fact, there's going to be a play at the museum on Yarrow Mahmood this Saturday, the 13th, I believe, from 4 to 5.30. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the Muslim uh, personalities here have uh, developed a play on the life and times of Yarrow Mahmood. So his debut will be here mm -hmm. um, Saturday, the, uh, I believe, this 13th. And I want to give a shout-out to Parvez and the brothers who helped uh, organize this event, and they called their group the Yarrow Collective in honor of that. So That's it's right. beautiful to see people honoring this, this, this legacy. Um, okay, so fast forward. He's owned by the people that own this property. Yes. He's freed. Eventually, it's bought by the Nation of Islam, 1973. 1973. They use this building as a, a Shabazz Bakery, mm. Culture Center, a temple, and a school. Has been um, used as this building has been used. Mm -hmm. We've came in. We came into this building. Uh, f matter of fact, five years ago, mm -hmm. um, two th March two thousand eleven, um, we've uh, came into this building. This is not our first choice. This is the choice that Allah guided us. Mm -hmm. We've went around looking on Pennsylvania Avenue, U Street, uh, uh, downtown, everywhere that we thought be conducive mm -hmm. for cultural tourism. Um, but then one day I was, for about a month, this building was empty. And I would ride by, close my eyes. Um, I didn't want to be here. I was like Hager, running to and fro, looking all around. <laughs> you know, but it was right here. Um, so the opportunity came and um, presented itself. We presented a package to the uh, master at the time and then allowed us to uh, rent the space. And as we are now, this has gone into our fifth year. We're looking to grow, looking to develop. We're looking for either to expand on this space or look for new space to grow mm -hmm. and develop. Well, I think it's powerful in that you may have been looking for different locations, more central to the city, quote-unquote nicer building, newer property, but it's ironic that this building itself is a piece of the museum. It is the museum, <laughs> but it's history. Like, it is. So that's from Allah, for sure. It is. Alhamdulillah. So... I think for me, when I first walked through here, um, like six months ago, all of it was amazing. Um, but particularly the extensive history that you have of the Nation of Islam and then, you know, the kind of transitional periods, Imam W.D. Muhammad. Um, there's so old Muhammad speaks, like original. I was just looking at, like, you have a lot of stuff that is just. Like the old, the Bilalian uh, press bag, man, yes. the the shoulder bag. I was like, man, I want one of those. <laughs> you know, but like, there's just a lot here. So why did you do this? Like what in your life caused you to become the people's historian? 
I am really, I used to work for a Muslim organization, American Muslim Council. It was the first Muslim political organization. And I saw that my immigrant Muslim community didn't see themselves as part of American fabric. They saw that they didn't. They thought Islam came in the seventies or in the eighties. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to accept the nation Islam mm-hmm. um, because of their shirt that went on. Mm-hmm. Then the um, nation Islam. Those pe- my people didn't realize. Uh, they thought they were the only ones. Nobody else was a Muslim. Nobody else was here but them. So I felt that there was a story that needed to be told. Um, then, you know, we're taught to honor our parents, you know, to respect them. So I started, uh, my father used to tell me all the time, oh, man, the Muslims don't want you, them Africans don't want you, blah, 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 blah. But I started researching my own family history and um, doing genealogical research. And I, my father's comes from Brunswick, Georgia, which is the mainland from the isolated islands, Sapa Island and St. Simon Island, where the Muslim community come from. Um, my father's a Gullah. The Gullah people, like when I came to the Nation of Islam, some of the things the Nation of Islam was teaching, I'm like, I got that from home. Um, so then when I started investigating, I found my ancestor. Her name was Claire Higginbottom. She had married a white indentured servant, and she was came directly from Africa. And her all her children was listed as mulattoes, but one was listed as black that was living with her. And her name was Amira Bakir. Bakir! Oh, y'all yeah. That's Muslim. Mm-hmm. So then I go, but then the next census it became Baker. Went from Bakir mm-hmm. to Baker. Mm-hmm. Then I started going research and Allah says, travel throughout the land and see what was before you. So they said a Muslim was here, a Muslim was there. I went. Allah allowed this opportunity to go, to explore. So I just started collecting and gathering and I realized our story needs to be told. Our story has not been told. Um, there's a misunderstanding of who we are, what we are. So as I started traveling, found a Muslims and Muslim community. The first Muslim community was in Georgia. Um, I found tombstones with the Tahid on it. Um, found Muslims. I was in um, where was I in Indiana at an Isthmus conference. A woman that walked by me looked like an Arab. But I knew she couldn't be a Muslim because she had shorts on. And a Muslim, it's not a conference. Come on now, you know. So, but she you said never she, know what goes down at that. Yeah, I, I knew that would go down. Um, so, I, so she said she was a Moor. A Moor. And she said there's a whole bunch of them living in Delaware. So I traveled to go to Delaware. I go to Delaware and I usually do cemeteries, uh, historical societies, libraries. So what were you looking for when you're like, when you were going to cemeteries or when you're going to these libraries? What are you looking for? Um, I look for uh, what I, I and, and when I go to cemeteries, I'm looking for tombstones. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I like is it, it makes me like a child. You have to lean on a lot, a lot guide me, show me what you want me to see. So you have to be a child and depend on him. Mm-hmm. So when I so when I travel, I I, I, I see tombstones. Matter of fact. It was one tombstone. There's a story, an American story, a movie called the Fanny Kimball story. It's a story about a Pierce Butler, a famous uh, plantation owner who married a, 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 a New England woman who um, was not exposed to slavery, and they all died out. And uh, his plantation was the Butler Plantation. So as I was leaving from Sapa Island going to Brunswick, I stopped by saw a cemetery called the Butler Cemetery. And then when I rode by the Butler Cemetery, I went in, 
And this was a slave cemetery. I found a tombstone with the Taid on it, one finger, uh, and it, it's Sambo Swift. I'm a Muslim, I'm one finger, come on. You know, uh, then I go, first I go investigate uh, 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 what they say about tombstones. And the comment that they had to say about the one finger, they said they think they was pointing up to God. They wasn't sure, you know, what was going on. You know, but Christianity, they believe in three gods. They don't do no, they do cross, the baby, the hand, you know, they don't do the one finger. So I found these tombstones from, from Georgia. My wife found them up in Canada. We found them in Maine all down. All the way out to Indiana, and then and at first I thought it was this was this uniquely unique to um, African American descended Muslims, but when I went into the town Mecca, Indiana, Muhammad, Illinois, <laughs> Kansas, these whites in Maryland, these are white cemeteries. It was tombstones with the Tahid on it. And so when I talked with a Turkish guy, he said even some Sufis out of the Turkish community they do the one finger. And you know, and then the other thing with that tombstone, the the first tombstone I found was Sambo. Not sure how y'all are worried about Sambo. A lot of y'all are young, but they used to make mock you. That's Sambo, Sambo, you know, African American, big lip, black, and all this mm -hmm. kind of stuff. But really, West Africans named their second son Sambo. Mm -hmm. That means uh, the warrior spirit. If you got a, that, that second child, they say always want to compete with the oldest mm -hmm. and dominate the younger. So they call that the warrior spirit. So you find a Sambo in many, in Brazil, many places, they use this terminology. So the first tombstone I found was named Sambo. And he was in between two, the earliest two Muslim communities. One was led by Bilali Muhammad, the other one was led by Sali Bilali. So in my understanding of Islamic history, first time I heard Bilal was Bilal ibn Rabat. The first one mm -hmm. went in the call of the prayer. Mm -hmm. And Bilal, when he got tortured, he put the, they put the rock on his chest. All he could say was, how to hide, didn't do one finger. Same thing in America. They stripped us from our culture, our history, our identity, and everything, but they still kept to the concept of one God. One God. And so then once, once you start seeing that, and then like another place thing happened. I was in another ISNA conference. A guy came to told me that he was up in Mecca, Indiana, with some um, rednecks is what he's used. You know, and I'm not sure if he was drinking with them or what, you know, but he was up there and he said he found tombstones with Arabic on it. Yeah, Allah. Allah, make it easy. So we were invited to go to um, University of Indiana in, in Bloomington. And that's like, 45 miles away from Mecca. No, Urbana. Urbana is 45 miles away from mm -hmm. Muhammad, Illinois. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, um, Mecca is not that far from um, Plainfield, Indiana. Um, so we went in there. Matter of fact, it was a young lady. Uh, 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 for all practical purposes, looked like a European, Irish girl, redhead. She said, my family is buried in this cemetery. Let me, I'll take you over to my cemetery. And it was a Hickson cemetery. Inside this cemetery, I found tombstones written in Arabic. But this Arabic was the old Ottoman script, which was demolished in 1923. Mm. And so they was here early. And they, um, she died in 1917. So I, I do cemeteries. Mm. Uh, matter of fact, I, I, I went um, to visit my brother, who had passed, and Quantico, military. Cemetery. When we, when he, when they, when he passed, they didn't bury him right then. They, 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 we, they, we all left. So then, once I got the number where he was buried, I go down in, in there and I ride and I look. But I don't know. So they're all diagonally. You can see, perfect, perfect, perfect in the line. So I'm looking for my brother, and all of a sudden I see a Tahi. It's my son. 
So I run down there and it happened to be a Muslim I know. Mm. Ya Allah. May Allah have mercy on him. He was a Boy Scout leader. Mm. Also, um, also uh, in the military. So that's why he was buried mm. there. Um, so then I start going around. A whole bunch of Muslims are buried in there. And now they don't have the tie, they got the crescent. Mm. Starting the crescent, you'll see it in that room. Mm -hmm. And so in any, any military cemeteries, they will uh, 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 put the star and crescent. And one thing I learned, I did a book, uh, 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 Muslim Veterans, uh, American Veterans of American Wars. And um, I'm shocked that that book was used in the Supreme Court to justify that they cannot put up a cross. And somebody wanted to put up a cross in the um, Veterans Cemetery, and they said you cannot. There's other people that are buried mm. there. Freedom Muslim, of religion, even in freedom, death. Yeah. That's right. Mm. And they use our book as a reference point. Now, this couple criticized the book, but yet they used it mm. as a reference point. So I was very humble mm -hmm. about that. And so, tombstones, and then we're in D.C., and you made use of the kind of census, old census records, and you were searching for names, early names, like what, 1800s? Look. In the census, I have a book that, inshallah, one day it will come out. Um, Muslims have been in American census records didn't start to 1790. There's people in 1790 with Islamic names. There's an 1800 census. The census, uh, come, they do it every 10 years. So in the 1800s, they're in there. 1810, 1820, 1830, but really the 1850s, the ones that really gets me. Um, the, in the 1850s, census. You find one Muslim named Muhammad coming living in California, coming from Arabia. Mm. You find a Muslim um, Henry Allah, which is probably a doula, mm. but Henry Allah, um, maybe Michigan or Minnesota, I'm not sure where he's living, Ohio, pardon me, he's living in Ohio. Um, he uh, comes from Ireland. I found seven census records with people that come from Ireland. So with now Muslim I go to, names. With Muslim names. So I go to Sheikh Google. Muslims in Ireland. Comes up 1959. I said, that can't be. Can't be. I, I see these tombstones. I see these, pardon me, I see these census records. So now I go Google Moors. Muslim Moors conquered the southern parts of Ireland in the 1600s, 1400s. And so when the potato famine came, because, you know, the Irish people mm -hmm. were treated like black folks mm -hmm. and in this country, and possibly because they were Muslims. Mm -hmm. So, yes, I, I do those senses. I, I did a book of Muslims listening in draft, in draft records and listening records. Muslims that wasn't even citizens fought in this country uh, and then got their citizenship. Another thing, we did a group, uh, 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 we had a summer camp. We took uh, some children to uh, the archives. And so the lady at the archives was trying to uh, present to us, you know, to be able to communicate to us. She pulled out a 1911 record of a Muslim named Muhammad from Afghanistan, Kandahar, Afghanistan. And by 1913, got his citizenship, him and his wife, living in Oregon. So Muslims have been here. We've been part of the American family. We fought in all the revolutionary mm -hmm. wars, all the wars. For, for those that, that haven't been here, or that are listening, he's referring to a, a picture that's in the other room of, it's like 30 men, right? All like white men in like old suits, right? It looked like what hipsters wear now, you know what I mean? <laughs> and 
it says, what does it say? Mohammedan society. Mohammedan society. And it's basically they're from Poland, Russia. These are your Tartars, Muslim Tartars that came. Every war, I'm telling every war, every, from the Spanish Inquisition, the first major war that I could mm -hmm. recall in history. Muslims came here in America from the Spanish uh, Inquisition. Mm -hmm. You find them in South Carolina, Columbia, you find them in Delaware, those Muslims that I talked about, the Moors of Delaware. You find them there. When you had the African diaspora or the slave trade or those wars, you have Muslims coming over here in waves mm -hmm. in, from Brazil to Canada. Hundreds and hundreds and thousands. As a matter of fact, I just saw a movie, they said there was over three million um, uh, 30 million, Muslim, 30 million uh, Africans that was brought here. They say that 30% of them were Muslims. So what's that? Nine. Nine million Muslims at least came here, if those numbers are right or, or lower. Then we have uh, 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 the census, the Revolutionary War, that's what I'm saying. Muslims fought in the Revolutionary War. We found at least six people, and I'm limited in my Arabic. I'm limited in understanding of different Muslim names. I only did the names I, I, I know. Mm -hmm. I knows how many more there is. But one come to my mind is Babbitt Muhammad. There's no question. None. But he turned to only Allah knows, but he had that name Muhammad. Mm -hmm. um, World War, uh, in the um, Civil War, we found over 292 people listed with Islamic names. Mm -hmm. um, the World War One, World War II, and World War One. There was 550 people had the last name Muhammad, spelt 41 different ways. So once I saw that, that 41 different ways, I am no longer strung out on any way, any way somebody spells the name. <laughs> you, you want can't. to spell that? You can't. M-A-M-U-M-O. One, one M, two M's, E-D-A-D, E-T-I-T, E-T-T. Matter of fact, the first Muslim um, family or first Muhammad family we found listed in America as a free people um, was in 1850, listed as black. Blacks didn't get their freedom to 1865. But in 1850, lived in Frederick, Maryland. You ever heard of John Brown in this area where John Brown and all that happened? They was free people, and they spelled the name Muhammad M-E, I mean, forget all the, the beginning, but M-E-T-T. -T. Mm -hmm. A couple times it was spelled M-I-T-T. And they was listed as free people. Some moved to Baltimore, and they became known as your uh, um, vendors or your Arabs. Those are the vendors that was down in there. One moved out to Nebraska and had a, a cake mix, a Omar cake mix. One of them, um, one of the descendants is, and they kept this name Muhammad up to 1963. From 1850, that's 113 years that they kept this name Muhammad. And then they switched it, or what? I don't know, Allahu mm -hmm. I, um, I came close. One of them came a Christian, for sure. Mm -hmm. On her tombstone, I found uh, a cross on it, but her name was still Muhammad. Mm -hmm. We went to try to uh, interview some of the families. We just missed them. They just moved. So there's a, still a family that still exists. But one of the descendants is Francis Gregory, who was one of the first African-American astronauts. It's one of the descendants from uh, Margaret Hagen Muhammad. Mm -hmm. So... Yes, we're, we've been here. So we got a sprinkling of Muslims and here and there. And when does it be, when are we, when are we talking about sizable communities? I guess I want to I move into 
the early nation, Elijah, Muhammad, uh, and all of this, where you have the more science temple, you have this Islam kind of, this revival, you could say, of Islam. Okay. Well, let me break it down a little bit, a little different. Mm -hmm. You had three group of Europeans um, colonizers. Mm -hmm. The Spaniards, they covered the, the Muslims, um, uh, Florida and the Seminoles and, and the Spanish Muslims. You had the English, who covered what they called the Gullah Muslims. These are the Muslims that were um, from Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina. They wound up, when the Industrial Age came, they wound up in New Jersey, New York, uh, New England area. The third group was your French. They controlled what, Louisiana, uh, New Orleans, and that, that area, and they called those Muslims the Creoles. Then there's one more group that was here. They was called the Ben Ishmael tribe. The Ben Ishmael people are made up of Melungeons, runaway Muslims, African-American Muslims, and Native American Indians. They say that they are the group of people that developed the town Muhammad, Illinois, Mecca, Indiana, and Morocco, Illinois, and they used to make annual journeys and wound up into Mecca, uh, Indiana. They ran them out into uh, Indianapolis, and then they wound them up into Chicago and Detroit area. With the point that you come into the uh, turn of the century now, the 20th, 20th century, you have the uh, Nineteen oh two, you got wave of immigrations coming, different Muslim personalities. Nineteen thirteen, Noble Drew Ali um, was up in Newark, New Jersey, started a group what they call the Canaanite Temple. Canaanites are the Canaans. They go on the, on, on the concept of Ham. Um, you know Noah, and, his, and he has children, and Ham is one of the sons, but Canaan is one of his children. And they call them Canaanites. Thank you, and that. That was what he first started. Then he moved to Chicago. He said he moved to Chicago because people were more receptive to Islam. Some of his early first followers was the Ben Ishmael tribe, the people that was in this region. And that is why, if you notice, Noble Ali, the Nation of Islam, under Elijah Muhammad, their leadership, their, their headquarters in Chicago and Detroit. Mm -hmm. Muslims were more heavier into that area. Sure. Uh, so Noble Ali, but he started, the law of the land stated in 1685, if you was a Moor or a Turk, you got the right to be free. You can't own slaves, but you got the right to be free. So the Muslim first political activity they did was in 1753. They petitioned the government for their freedom, and they won. And it became known as the Moor Sundry Act. So Nobel Ali picked up the fact that we're Moors. Right, and just to take it back, because just from my reading, there's quite a few Muslim slaves that petition to get their freedom based on the fact I'm a Moor. Or even the white people couldn't understand, like, look, he reads Arabic with multiple languages, speaks. A lot of these slave owners, you have to, you have to realize, like, they couldn't even read or write. So there you got someone reading and writing multiple languages, educated, erudite, right? The scholarly tradition of Islam in Africa. And they're, because they, in their mind, they were like, this, these people are, Different. We have, you know, like, so they were like, okay, you're Moors. It doesn't matter if you're black, as black as can be. You know what I mean? You, they had to s try to separate them because, right. you know, and quite a few, a few people actually got freedom based on that. Uh, Prince of Mount Slaves, mm -hmm. uh, Job ibn Dijalo, um, the, uh, Omar ibn Said tried, um, had the choice to, but he chose not to. Mm. Um, there's quite a few. 
that they thought that they was Moors, so they was able to get their freedom. But what they, because uh, they thought that black folks didn't have no soul, no spirit, uh, 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 soulless, and they, they, just, they just didn't know. I mean, Islam was in Africa for 700 years before the slave trade started. Islam was ingrained for generations and for generations. So I'm going to move forward back with uh, Noble Jali. So Noble Jali did not identify himself as a, 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 a Muslim, as we know, into the rituals. They were more into the culture and identity of being a Moor. I'm a Moor. So some of the rituals are quite different. They, he established his own Quran. Uh, they pray a little different. Um, they know Islam. They respect Islam. They may say Islam is the religion, but they're more about the culture. Islam. That's their greeting, right? Islam. Yeah, Islam. Instead of Islam, they say Islam. Yeah, Islam. <laughs> Islam. Islam. And what I learned, they do a lot of, they go into a lot of Masonic right. signs and symbols. Right. You, you see, uh, Noble Jali was um, with his hand over his, uh, his heart and standing on a square. Mm. When you see him like this, these are Masonic signs. That he's reaching out, so it was more of a uh, Masonic right. level. And wearing the fez, just like a lot of Masons wearing the fez. When we were taught in the nation of Islam, uh, a Mason is a Muslim son, mm. someone that learned a little bit of Islam. That's right. Now, then you come in right after Noble Drew Ali, you have um, Farad Muhammad, who was an Indo Pak, um, who came in. Um, some reports say that he was given the leadership of the Moor Science Temple, but they put him out. Mm. And he ran to, to Detroit, and what he, what he started was a lost temple of Islam. Then until they got uh, a couple guys he brought in, went a little um, berserk, a little crazy. Uh, wanted to kill a couple people. So the FBI and the cops and everybody came in and raided it. So he changed it to what they called the lost found, temple, the lost found nation of Islam in the wilderness of North America. I believe is the title that it was called. Um, he did that for about three years. Then he uh, chose Elijah Muhammad to be his uh, leader, the next leader of the community. And what he told them is that, one, he never said he was God. He said he was the Mahdi. He was here to revive, uh, to revise the faith. It was uh, Elijah Muhammad that came years later and said that that was God. Uh, so this is where that even his own brother, Collett, uh, uh, or the FOI, went to chase him, wanted to go kill him. And that's how he wound up in the D.C. area. Washington, D.C. was the first temple that Elijah Muhammad established and built. Temple 1-1, one, one, number 2, number 3 was built by Farad Muhammad. All the others was established by Elijah, uh, Elijah Muhammad. And it's still sta the temple... Number temple th number four or Master Muhammad, which was temple number four at the time, still, still exists. Yeah, it's the only, there last time it was the only um, building or masjid uh, that was built by Elijah Muhammad mm -hmm. from the ground up. And it was the only one really called mosque. All of them was called temples. Mm -hmm. Now, but Until he went to like Hajj, then he came back. Like, but now that's another story when he went to Hajj. No, once the, the temple wasn't established after he went to Hajj, mm -hmm. came after but he called it a mosque. Mm -hmm. But out in the, the community, they called it a temple. But on the sign on the board, it was called a mosque. Within that, uh, uh, Malcolm helped help raise some money. You can see it in some of the FBI reports that Malcolm helped raise $1,900 to help get that building started. There's a very, very, very good, beautiful story about that and their works that they did to establish that building. Um, with Elijah, um, 
establishing, you, you see, and then I don't really have the time, maybe it be another conversation, but with the Nation of Islam, you find about four different growths, four different changes. Um, when it first started, there were more Islamically conscious, I would say. Mm -hmm. They say that Farad Muhammad gave 25,000 people Islamic names um, before he left. Elijah, if you look at some of the early lessons, they was taught how to do wudu. Mm -hmm. Was taught the prayer Abraham should have told my whole self to do a lot, trying to be upright to him who originated the heavens and the earth. There was taught uh, a prayer, to, uh, 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 one of the Sunnah prayers, Allah seek refuge in you from anxiety and grief, or lack of strength and laziness, cowardness and godliness. Mm. I mean, no problem by death and oppression of man. I'm, uh, I'm only going pieces, yeah. you know, I'm not going to say it at all. And they was taught the Al Fatiha. But we was also taught that Elijah said that he's only here to clean us up. The one that was going to come after him was going to teach you the religion. So what, what, so you, what you had, that went on in the 30s and then in, in the 40s. When Elijah got arrested for uh, not joining the, uh, the military, he went in jail, and that's when he started realizing what to do for self. And he came out and they started to open up a couple of businesses. But they were always still was pointing to Mecca. Mecca was the answer. Mecca was the place. It was streets was painted with gold. It wasn't until he went to Hajj to find out them streets wasn't painted with no gold. They were saying they couldn't help themselves. And that's when he came back into being, no, we got to do for self. And that's when he put more focus. Then in the 50s with Malcolm and, and, and some of the Jim Crow laws, they came more black conscious. Mm -hmm. uh, came more of a social reform movement. Um, but then uh, in 70, 75, when Imam Worthy Muhammad came in, the community had came corrupt before the imam came in. There was pockets of corruption that was around. Men and men's greed. Uh, men and men misuse and abuse of people. Um, when the imam worthy Muhammad came in, he came in like Esau or Jesus. Uh, he came into the temples, running out the money changers. He moved, he promoted Farrakhan to Chicago, took him from his base. He promoted the, the gangster, the imam, let me be careful, the brother in, in Philly. He moved him in, uh, from Philly to uh, New York. For me, I come from the Connecticut, New York. New York, Connecticut people are, are white uh, collar criminals. They skim some money, take some money, you know, white collar criminals. Phillies are gangster criminals, hard rock, you know. Mm -hmm. And so then you're going to come up, you're going to bring a hard rock guy up to New York. They wasn't going for it. It was smooth. It was rough. So it was a bloodless coup. And he moved a few other corrupt people around. That it was a bloodless coup. That then he started bringing about changes. Then he started using words. One of his first things he said, man means mind. Think. You know, and if you see some of his early uh, photographs, he put two his fingers to his temple to think. He used colors, he used metaphysics and language to move people about. We had to make, just like the Prophet Muhammad Islam, the Muslims had to change their Qibla, their direction. The Muslims in the nation of Islam had to change their direction. Mm -hmm. We was doing sharp. Some of us had Farad as God. Some of us had other things. Money and everything else is God. We had to move it to following the Quran. Right. We had to move it to loving Allah. Mm -hmm. uh, um, so he, he pushed us to that. And then another thing he pushed us to, he tried to move us out of color consciousness. He tried to move us, he said that... Uh, um, a lot of things people just don't know. Back then, when the Nation of Islam started, blacks was called colored, Negroes, and everything else, coons, and everything else. 
Elijah Muhammad and the nation Islam said, no, we're black. He, he, he brought about, forced that concept of black and black panthers and everybody else. Right. Brought black that power comes later. Yeah. Then W.D. Muhammad said, that, blackness ain't going to get you nowhere. Nationalism ain't going to get you nowhere. So he said, no, don't call yourself black. So he tried to take on a personality. He identified Bilal ibn Rabah. He said, call yourself Bilalian. He was an Ethiopian. He was an enslaved person that came to Islam. There's some comparison mm -hmm. um, that we have. That went on for a few years, but that didn't settle. So he said, well, okay, call yourself African-American then, if that's what you want to do. And then a year later, the African-American leadership, Senator uh, Douglas Wilder, Jesse Jackson, and a few other African-American leadership was in Chicago, called a, a press conference, said that we we're going to call ourselves African-American people. That has been going on since then. Mm. So you see those so subtle... from Imam yes. Muhammad. Yes, yes. So, and... and Recently, in my reading about it, like, I wasn't aware of, like, because people don't know, like, we talk about, right, the Islamic State. Now everyone talks about that. But, like, the nation was, like, an Islamic State in America. They had businesses. They had, like, import-export. They had land. They had grocery stores. They had a whole empire, and it was centralized. Like, it all comes That's back right. to the headquarters. Yeah, that's right. And there was a paramilitary, too. That's right. Like, and it was rough. Like, it was... You know, they had a, sh a Sharia court, and you would get excommunicated for a specific time. You're, you're, you did this infraction, you're out for six months, you're asked for two months, you're out for two years. Mm -hmm. And it's funny now, right? Because that's like the worst thing for them is like, I can't go to the mosque right. for two years. Now, right. people are like, you can't go to the mosque for two years. Like, I didn't go to the mosque for the last two years anyway. But they were like, it was this, that's right. you know, real community and this you know, unity, but of course there was a lot of power politics and the, with the paramilitary is a lot of like, you know, I mean, just what happened with Malcolm, when Malcolm, you know, left, it was not safe. Like, not just before, like they were attacking Mal people that went with Malcolm, it was all out war, you know? That's right. I, um, you said a couple of things. Um, as, as a um, young man, I think I felt, I feel blessed. I met, the brother came friends with the brother that uh, Benjamin Adul Benjamin Kareem. He was the one that brought Malcolm to the podium before he was assassinated and martyred. Um, we became good friends. Uh, he shared a lot of information with that. Now going to the nation Islam, we was a nation within a nation. We was a nation within a nation. And we believed in that. I think, therefore, I am. You know, we had buildings, schools, everything. Ooh, the nation within the nation. I worked for the nation. I, it wasn't until Imam Worthy Muhammad came. You know, we were taught uh, uh, this world is nothing but illusion. It's just nothing but a man's idea. Every building, everything we see is a man's idea. Somebody designed and developed it, but we get caught up into the physical. So when Imam Worthy Muhammad came in and broke down the, this is nothing but illusion. He broke down the mythology and everything, and it all disappeared. I'm like, whoa. And then right after that, the fall of the Russian Empire came. I said, wow, that is really nothing but an illusion. So, I, I, so this is what gave me real strong strength and foundation, that this world's life is nothing but illusion. Our final journey is to Allah. Don't get caught up into what you see physical. This is a journey to travel through. The... Uh, um, there's things that was in the nation, and I 
want to back up because the Nation of Islam was just the popular Muslim organization, or the largest one. But it was there was Muslim Sunni Muslims mm -hmm. that that evolved. Another thing I learned, you know, in the Quran forces, you know, we got to learn to live and let live. That Allah will take care of things. Allah is in charge. Where that there was the Ahmadians came mm -hmm. and had a major influence upon the Muslims Big in, time. Uh, in America, mm -hmm. up in the Pittsburgh, uh, Ohio, Youngstown, and Chicago area. Mm -hmm. um, but there was a natural evolution that some of the early leaders that followed, African-American Muslim leaders, that followed the Ahmadians left them. Wally Akron out of Cleveland. Mm -hmm. um, he started what they call a 10-year Muslim plan. Then they, uh, then there was all the Sunni Muslims, and, and two groups in Pittsburgh, a couple groups up in uh, upstate New York, another one came through the Moore Science Temple, went to Turkey, went to Turkey, made hitch to Turkey, told him he had 25,000 people that if they could get something developed, that they would come. But Turkey didn't buy it, they gave him a job as a... a Cleaning ditches, whatever plumbing stuff was. Um, so then he wound up going to Egypt. Then he came back. He came back here. Became came back here. Uh, Professor Ezzedine. Professor Ezzedine had a community that was. They brought land, hundreds of acres of land, upstate New York, hundreds of acres of land, low part of New Jersey. So they all had in their concept to do for self. They all had a concept to build a community life. Um, what, what happened with Imam with Muhammad? I think he, 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 when he changed the word from nation to community, it lost their concept that you know you still got to build a community, still got to build a life. But there's few pockets around, and I see the same tradition with Muslims community today. You go to New Jersey, parts of New Jersey, you go down the street, you got a Muslim community. You find different pockets around that is growing and, and, and evolving, and then we're also coming together as a community. When I first came here, I used to have to go to the uh, Jewish market to go buy my meat. Mm -hmm. Now I go, I got five different choices to go, go buy my mm -hmm. meat. Um, there's a lot of different masters now mm -hmm. around. It wasn't like it is today. Alhamdulillah. Um, I mean, there's just so much in here. And so much to ask about as that like there's just no way to even touch it off. This is gonna have to be like a twenty-five part series or something like that. <laughs> um, but are there any like individuals that you come across or stories or uh, you know that particularly stick out to you of, of the history? Um, there's a few. I like I like the story of uh, 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 of Job Ibn Dijalo. I like all the stories. You see Allah's in them. Um, Job and Dijalo, he sold Muslims. He sold slaves. And Allah punished them. He got caught and captured by the same slave captain, ship captain that he sold some slaves to. Wow. When he came here, he made Toba. Yo, Lord, what the I do here? And he cried and cried and he pleaded and he got his freedom. Because they found him praying, dickering and everything and, they, and he had some character. Um, and he made it to um, England. They gave the dukes and everybody gave him gold watches, jewelry. They was amazed at his character. Uh, another thing is the 1768 writing. See, for me, they told us we couldn't read and write. Well, we can read and write. We wrote Arabic. 
and and their language. They use like you go up in there, you see some Mandingo words, mm -hmm. you see some Hausa words, but it's in in Arabic. Right. Is the Fatiha and for the last source of the Holy Quran. It took them 90 years before they did the translation. Oh, I can't read and write. Yeah, somebody told them a lie. We've been hookwinked. That's why I like it, because you can validate a lot of things that Malcolm said. Mm -hmm. You can see it for real. Uh, another one is the uh, Gullah story. The Gullah people. It's called the Gullah people. They come from the, uh, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina. They was able to maintain the Islamic uh, community. Like, like I said earlier, some, two of the leaders was Bilali Muhammad and Sali Bilali. And for me, you know, we have Bilal in, in, in Islamic story, but now in America, I got two Bilals, not one, but two. And I found a tombstone with the one guy. Oh, my God. Come on. So this, that, that, that moved me. And then that's close. My uncle was burying people on one of the islands. So it, 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 it's my heritage. It, 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 it's, it's close to me. Um, there's other pockets. The town's Muhammad. There's a Muhammad, Texas, Muhammad, Illinois. And the reason why Muhammad, Texas get me, and I hope this goes out, you know, they tell us Muslims aren't no cowboys. We're not. We was camel boys. <laughs> really, wallahi, they used 75 camel herders to go out west. Go out west. And one of them biggest political people that be telling them lies um, come from Texas. Allah is Akbar. There's a town called Muhammad, Texas. Left by one of those camel herders. So, no, we was not cow cowboys, we were camel boys. And we left a town called Muhammad, Texas. Right there for crews and all the rest of them could see. Um, then there's the, the town. That, that reminds me, just to interject, that I was in Australia and they, let, they told me that because Australia is it's, it's huge, it's the size of the continental United States, and it's desert in the middle. Mm. All the European, you know, the British come and they're like, we're not going across this huge desert. So they brought what they called Afghan cameleers. They brought, that was just the term they used. It wasn't all Afghani, some were from Pakistan, India, but there were Muslims who, you know, could ride the camels and to explore the interior. And so there's still mosques that they built that were made out of like tin and wood and stuff like that. And to this day, there are more, because basically how all these camels and then when the job was done, some of them settled, some of them left. But all the camels, they just left them there. And so the camels just were free in the, in the, in the center of the country and just breeding and have no predators, right? So it, to this day, there's more camels in Australia than Arabia. Wow. That's Paul Vallab. <laughs> wow. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of those stories. Like that story, there's a, there's a cowboy picture. The whole Southwestern Trail. In this cowboy picture, it shows how they got out west. They shows three Arabs, one they call High Jolly, which was High Jolly, pulling camels and making sajda. Mm. I said, wow. High Jolly. Yep, High, High Jolly. Jolly. You know, those are the two that they, they, they record. Then um, uh, the 1900s, what I like about the 1900s, it starts busting bubbles. Um, in, in the sense that it shows you so many Muslims that came in, like I talked about the Afghanistan, got his citizenship here. The uh, uh, Polish Tartars, uh, um, Alexander Russell Webb. Um, then, of course, you got Nobu Ali, but for me, the, the man of the hour at that time was uh, Muhammad Dusi Ali. He was a Renaissance man. He was a playwright, an actor, and an imam. He's the one you ever heard of, Marcus Garvey. Mm -hmm. um, Marcus Garvey say, uh, one God, one name, one purpose. Um, it was him that gave him that concept. 
He's Marcus Garvey. Where was work he? For him. Um, he was in. He was from Nigeria. Well, no, he wound up going to Nigeria. He's from Africa. Probably born in Egypt. Uh, lived in England f- um, for a while and was a writer. Came over to the United States in the Detroit area. Started a couple of Muslim organizations. Then wound up going to Nigeria. Mm. And that was around what? What? Nineteen twenties. This is the nineteen twenties. 1920s, then you had the Auckland Deans coming in. Mm-hmm. And that wave of Muslims were there. Then you got uh, Imam uh, uh, Wali Akram and Imam uh, uh, Ezzedin. These are Imams of the 30s and 40s that were found in Sunnah. Right. Wali Akram is in Cleveland. Yes. They mm-hmm. have the first Cleveland mosque. That's I think right. his like, grandson is the Imam still or son. Or Could be. Like one of one of them. Matter of fact, I, I'd be a good story to hear them. I I, uh, I found that unique. I interviewed one of them one time. And the Nation of Islam got stories. You know, who's the original man, the Asiatic black man, blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah, you know, the earth weighs six million tons and things like that. But the uh, uh, first mosque of Cleveland got stories that they gave the children, but they're Islamic stories. And then like, they were like rattling off like the Nation of Islam mm-hmm. people. I'm like, wow. So you got to memorize the lesson. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you can see it. So... Yes, I thought that was very unique, very unique. So I like that. And then today, you know, you got Muslims in all aspects of American society. There, um, there's over 14 Muslim judges today. There's over 14 Muslim mayors today. You got Muslim police officers, correction officers, Muslims in all aspects mm-hmm. of American society today. I want to open up to everybody, but there's one thing I forgot to ask, and that was for music. I know jazz. And I wanted you to talk a little bit about Islam and jazz, Muslims and jazz. Well, be do do honor and justice. I'm not a jazz musician. I'm not a jazz connoisseur. Okay, right. but jazz, my understanding, really comes out of blues, and from um, uh, Sylvain Daouf, who wrote the book Servants of Allah. She points out that the blues is the singing. They're saying the blues, this is what they call the Adan in West mm-hmm. Africa, those origins. Then you have many Muslim jazz musicians, Art Blakely, Latif mm-hmm. Jamal, Ahmed Jamal, Muhammad, Idris Muhammad, um, Kirkland Bay. I mean, there's so many early jazz mm-hmm. musicians. Many Muslims played um, jazz. You have the Muslim um, Ahmed, who was the Turkish ambassador's son, will open up the doors, the Turkish embassy doors, to allow African-American um, jazz musicians come in and play. Because they wouldn't allow many of them to play in um, other places, but they wouldn't let them play. Um, so m- jazz had a very, 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 very strong influence. Um, Muslims had a very strong influence in jazz. From bebop to hip-hop, mm-hmm. you see many of the hip-hop People are Muslim, you know, or have Islamic ideas or mm-hmm. concept. Be from seven percent, five percent, whatever they come from. There's that Islamic influence on them. And then to close, before we open it, I probably should have asked this at the beginning, but why is this important to you? Why is preserving this history important for people in our day and age? If we don't tell our story, nobody will. There was somebody else to tell your story. There's so many stories like, like, I mean, there's so, man, look. We have to tell our stories. If we don't, somebody else will. We don't belong here. We haven't been here. Mm-hmm. We're something foreign. Mm-hmm. 
Trump is going to push us out. Get the get out of here. I've been here. No way. And I've been a matter of fact. I am um, one of my on my mother's side of the family. I was doing research. My earliest ancestor was free, born free in 1790, and they, they had to go to court. To, you know, let them describe how they look and all this. And one of the court records had a guy named Thomas Hawk. H-A-Q-Q. That's a Muslim. Mm -hmm. That made me think, well, this Sojourner Truth changed her name. But Muslims was here. In the 1700s in Virginia, they fought in the Revolutionary War. Come on. I don't buy it. There's that need. It, it, we, we need that sense of belonging. I don't want my Muslim immigrants to feel cowtail. You got to be ashamed or high or that they don't belong here. Uh, uh, there's a, a, a sense that my Muslim or African-American descent got to realize that there's other Muslims that are here. We're part of an American family, Muslim-American family. It is important for my uh, Christians to know. Because Allah says, what? Well, tribes and nations not to despise one another, but get to know one another. So I'm trying to get them to know us. Come to learn about us. A lot of them don't want to come into a, a, a mosque or a church or a synagogue. They want a, a free third space. We provide that third space for cultural expression, historical understanding of who we are and what we are. And we hope this will not only grow and, de and, and develop, but also go other places. Because everybody has a story. You got a local story. The story of Muslims in California, in your local area. Then you can tell the inclusive story. All they say, all politics is local, right? What uh, we have a national and a local story. We started out with uh, Yarrow Mahmoud, a local story, but we're national, international. Our story is an international story. Our story is an American story, and it's an important story. So, anybody has any questions or any comments or any reflections? I want to thank I want to thank the brothers for what you've done here, uh, here. and uh, I mean we were just talking. We need to come up with some kind of a curriculum based off of what you have here that can be shared across America and all the massages, the, the, the immigrant massages, as well as the non-immigrant massages that talk about this history. And uh, we'd be happy to help you, you know, inshallah, try to make that book or some kind of a something that tells the history of Muslims in America from all the artifacts and everything that you have here, inshallah. Inshallah, it, it's coming, I think so. That was Brother Parvez from uh, Yaro Collective. Uh, Yaro Collective has been a, a group that's been supporting us on many different occasions, um, has supported this program. So I very much appreciate your comment. Um, can you touch on the Saga America? Um, uh, oh, the that, saga that, that, that really, you know, is pretty uh, mind-boggling. Um, I'm not sure if y'all heard what he said. He asked me about this book called Saga of America by Barry Fells. Um, saga of America is a book, and this is why, and let me, you know, Americans, everything, you got to be documented. You got to show. This is why when we start with our, our, our museum, we start with the history of 1500. That's the It's documented. It can't deny it. But with uh, Barry, and I'm not a, a major scholar, and he was from Harvard. The other scholar, uh, Van Sertiman, they came before Columbus, was from Harvard. And they still challenged all of them. 
of various fails, Saga of America states that Muslim early communities was in America in the 1300s, 1200s, and out west, in what they call the Four Corners. They found old schools, um, old writings. He validates the early um, presence of Muslims way before Columbus. And, uh, and he, he shows the writings, he shows our, uh, the, uh, the caves where they had the school systems. And this is what they call the four corners uh, of the United States, Utah, Colorado, and that area, that Muslim was heavily out. You'll find Muslim and Muslim Native American Indians. That's another untold story. So there's a uh, heavy report of Muslim coming here way before, before Columbus. Columbus. For sure. Way before Columbus. What was it? Even Columbus, in his journals, uh, was one of the early explorers, he said when they got there, he said, in his journal, he said, we found uh, mosques and pagan temples. Yep. And no historian even debates that, but they just say now, oh, he was confused because they were used <laughs> to fighting the Muslims in Spain. <laughs> so they, they just said, oh, mosque, they called it, or, or it was a mosque. Yep. <laughs> they didn't even look. Before that, they thought the world was flat. Mm -hmm. When did they come with the Columbus come? When? 1492, 1492, right? What happened in 1492? Granada fell. Very good. That's right, and that's when they found the maps. Oh, this is where the Muslims been traveling. Mm -hmm. So it was two Muslims that helped Columbus get his ships going, the Pinzoff family. And they went out. But until then, it was flat to them. It was us that exposed them to the other parts of the world to travel. And this is what they call a, a discovery. And this is one reason why we, uh, and we encourage Muslims all around the country to celebrate October as America's Islamic Heritage Month. Um, for the last 10 years in Washington, D.C., the mayor has issued a proclamation honoring October as America's Islamic Heritage Month. One of the reasons why we do it, because they say Columbus will have been here in October. <laughs> we was here. So we try to celebrate that. Um, we, and then to be a little bit more, then um, Prince of Mount Slave, Abdul Rahman, one of his first Arabic writings he wrote was in October 1828. So we do that. You just said that they that they discredit the uh, that that Columbus and and these different uh, navigators came and said that there were mosques by saying well they were just fresh in their mind because they were fighting the Muslims in Spain, but it's also the other side of it is well they knew what a mosque was, not just well they're confused well maybe they actually had the most expertise from that Muslim perspective what that looked like. Mm -hmm. so, and the goal you can spin it any way you really want to. Right, right. And the goal, I mean, there's log journals. You talk about seeing the old rooms of Moss in uh, Cuba and in Panama. Uh, and he talks about the gold that they use. Uh, matter of fact, they say that Hawaii and Honolulu is Islamic names, West, uh, West African and Islamic names. One is uh, the wind, the sweetness of the wind, and I forgot what the other one meant. Pearls. Here are pearls. So I'm telling you, I mean, it's... Right. And then you have Mansa Musa coming with all these ships from Africa. Abu Bakr, Mansa Musa's uh, brother. He came here in 1300 mm. and went all through the Mississippi. Matter of fact, if you go through uh, Mississippi, um, Natchez, Mississippi, in particular, I haven't been around the others, where it's called the Indian uh, uh, living houses, they're like African huts. Mm. They're not no Indian teepees, they're like mm. African huts. And then they got these two miles. And for me, I see Sawa Mawa. You know, but they said this was the religious area for them. 
Um, but yeah, Muslims travel all through Mississippi. Nassau Musa brother, they all down up in Brazil. You got the the Olmec heads, which are African heads that even have like Mendinko helmets. Like, yep. it's very clear. You it's know? clear that people are in a state of denial. And then, uh, you know, they they acknowledge too that I saw this map and it showed it was a map and then it showed like an image all across America of local tribes, Native Americans had a face and it had the local headdress. And most of them are feathered headdresses, but in the Florida area, they're turbans. Those are your cinemas. With Abraham, there's definitely turbans. And with the long arm, and there's another group of Muslims out there, Indian, Native American Indians, and uh, uh, what was I in Muhammad, Illinois. In Muhammad, Illinois. Uh, I can't think of the name, the tribe name, but they uh, uh, begin with a K. And what they, one of the things that was unique for them in, in, uh, in, the, in the, uh museum was that they buried people. They were buried the dead. You know, and I guess, you know, I guess the cowboys' pictures are true that the Indians were putting them up on um, hot. But this group of Indians was burying the dead, and they would wear their gowns, long gowns. I'm telling you, we have to, we cannot look at our past as we see things today. These people, some of these people didn't have the, uh, the freedom to practice religion as we know. Some people had to change, they was given a different name. You see the story about Kunta Kente. They gave him his name, uh, Toby. He fought the Dickens, saying my name is Toby. This is, if y'all watch the movie, this here is the actual Chicken George, the grandson of him, and that's on his tombstone. And you see that's a foe. No, they told us? He was in his pajamas. <laughs> what man gonna go in his pajamas, put a pipe in his mouth to take a picture and pose? Come on. <laughs> Just don't know. But because you being a Muslim, you could recognize some Islamic things. There's things that they cannot recognize. Like I said about the tombstones, I get the comments, oh, Muslims ain't supposed to have tombstones, all this, blah, blah, blah. I've been to Hajj. I've seen tombstones in cemeteries. Yeah, come on. I've seen them on TV. Come on. Come on. So these people, didn't, they, they, they didn't know. But they knew put that one guy, one finger on there. That much they didn't know. They might be Alice, Nancy, whatever, but they the one guy. I grew up in Seattle, and in the suburb across the, the lake, there's a, a small city called Medina. Mm -hmm. And it's, I did some research because I was like, why Medina? And it, it is, it's named after Medina. Mm -hmm. But that... You know, that there was like some woman who named it and there's different stories like she just loved history and she read about this holy city in Arabia and so she named it and they didn't know how to say it so they called it Medina. So it's called Medina but that uh, city, it's like the most wealthy area code in America now and Bill Gates lives there. And so they don't know it but that's from the blessing of Medina, the blessing of the Prophet that increased, increased their risk. So yeah, yeah. There's eight towns named Mena mm. in America. Somebody really had to know <laughs> about Mena. Now you give them Medina, you give them Mecca. You know, I seen it in a book, but Mena, come on, <laughs> that was a little bit of research. Like Muhammad, Illinois, they wanted to change the name to Middletown, but there was already a, a, a town called Middletown in Illinois, so they had to go back to Muhammad. So when you go to Muhammad, you see the post office, Muhammad. You see the administrative building, Muhammad. You see a lot of the buildings, Muhammad. But the cemetery said Middletown, and one of the high schools said Middletown. I guess this is when you can't stomach the name Muhammad. <laughs> you know? But then they know. Uh, um, and then, in what was it that Muhammad? 
Muhammad, Illinois, or Mecca. And one of either in Muhammad, Illinois, or in Mecca, Indiana, the law of the land for them, um, this is through the Writers Project, stated that you go own, you bought land, but if you got alcohol on your land, you lose rights. You lose your land. So that was something. I don't know what they want to say, who they want to say, but somebody that had some structures to that land, to that law, was Muslims. Because they could not sell alcohol or have alcohol on the land or they would lose it. And this is in what they call the Government Writers Project. This is a group of people that went around investigating and writing the stories. And so it's well documented. So what's up with the, uh, the Masonic fetish with Islam? Mas Masonic fetish with Islam. <laughs> Because you see these uh, huge, like, mosque-looking things, man. but they're, they're, it's not a mosque, it's no way. Man, look, I, 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 man, my travels, man, I've seen some gorgeous masjids <laughs> that are Masonic places, you know? <laughs> man. Mm -hmm. But we was taught, in my understanding, that um, when Muslims, see, a lot of times we was taught, we, we, we know that Muslims conquered Spain. But we don't realize Muslims conquered the southern part of France, and then it, it got pushed back. When they was in France, they taught the Knight Templars to um, the knowledge, to be civilized. Like some of the things that, the, uh, like I said, uh, Noble Jali, like the Masonic, they believe in charity. This is where you got the Shriners Hospital. They take on some of the Islamic rituals. They, they believe, they, uh, they're weak. But they, 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 they're taught, like, like right here, they're taught one of the sciences to stand on a square, a 90 degree angle. We're taught the same thing. We're taught in this context that Prophet Muhammad Islam when he made the, uh, the night journey hit you. You got to grow vertically in order to grow out horizontally. You got to purify yourself. You got to grow spiritually. When then we came back, then then when it, then he made Hitchin. Then we go to Medina. That's when he started establishing Medina. After he made the Hitchin, we had to grow spiritually. I explained that earlier with Imam Worthy Muhammad. He said our community came corrupt, so he had to get got all the uh, horizontal stuff out. Clean up the soul, clean up the spirit, clean up your thinking right first, and then you can move out and be productive. This way right here. We got Muslims. You see Muslims around here. Uh, 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 I got a problem here uh, um, with Muslims. They, 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 they sell stuff. They bring um, the weak. They're chasing the dollar. They're selling um, paraphernalia, drug paraphernalia, in order to chase that dollar. Now I got number criminal. If y'all pull up in early, ain't number knuckleheads over there. But if I go out, I get tired of going out there every day. Come on, man. And I try to tell them, Malcolm Muhammad Ali earned that right. These people know what these Muslims stands for. Mm -hmm. Don't come over here messing us up, making it look bad. They earned that right. I don't care what man they may say or think. People, the world love Malcolm. The world love Muhammad Ali, and Muhammad Ali will whoop you if you taught him anything other than Muhammad Ali. Mm -hmm. And the world know it. And people have that respect. If I go out the door, I say, come on, man. Matter of fact, sometimes when some of our programs come and they start seeing sisters coming over here, they'll just fade away because they know better. They know what we stand for. We have to stand on our principles. I'm telling you, the Quran is the book. This is the book. Sure, without doubt. We just have to believe it. Work it. Practice it. And for me, I guess because coming from the nation of Islam, and once they gave us the, the Quran, I had to use it. I had to work it. Mm -hmm. and, and like one job, when I first came, got a job in the, into the, the world, even the nation, guy asked me, can I sell? Can I sell? Of course I can sell. I couldn't tell him I sold illegal drugs. I couldn't tell him I sold fish. 
that was what the Muslims sold. We sold fish and we sold the paper. Muhammad's peace couldn't tell them to sold that. So I sold food products and educational products. He gave me a job. Thank God he didn't ask me what it was, but he gave me a job. Then I started growing and evolving. Um, then they put me in a position, leadership position. Uh, I had a business downtown in Richmond, Virginia one time. And what is like, uh, uh, back then days was a store, Tallheimer's and uh, Miller and Rose, I think, which would be Macy's today, and all them kind of stores. They, and all them management, all them top people up in there. And me, I'm a little boy from the hood, sitting with all these guys. And now I'm calling out Musa. What did Musa do when he had to meet all the, uh, 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 um, the magicians and everybody, right? He said, well, who? Y'all going to cast down or me cast down? He let them cast down first. Then the snake with the staff ate it all up. So I learned that strategy. Look, let me be quiet and listen to all what they got to say. Then when, when they finish, I'll regurgitate what I heard. I'll summarize what I heard. They thought I knew something. Y'all lie. That was a strategy I used. Here's another two more strategies um, in the Quran I see. Then there's a whole bunch, but we don't use them. Muslims, open your eyes. Don't be mysticized. And I guess to come through the nation of Islam, help me. You know, do look at reality as reality. Don't get caught on the physical and material things that I see. Um, this question was brought up talk about the Quran that was saved during the Civil War. In Tuscaloosa, Alabama, in the Civil War, um, the Union troops came down and wanted to um, burn down the town, blow up everything, burn down the town. Librarian said, can we save some books? He said, no, you can save one book. That one book he ran and saved was this Quran. The Quran is still there at that library today. It says it's the only book that was saved during the Civil War. Um, it was the uh, George Sells uh, version. Inside that particular Quran was a map, a, 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 a map of Arabia before it was Arabia. It was called Yemen. Inside this map, and an early map of the uh, design of the Kaaba. Also in there was a map, excuse, a genealogical chart of the Arabs. Adnan, Khatan, and the Fahir are, are listed all in this map. So you can see the genealogical uh, uh, trace of it in there. So that was important. Allah said that he would protect his book. Mm -hmm. And that book was protected, and it's still there today. We ask that Allah protects this place, inshallah, and increases the benefit, you know, and spreads it far and wide. It's definitely true, you know, that, you know, having historical consciousness, it's like you want to destroy a tree, you don't, you can, you can rip down almost all the branches, it's going to be all right. But you start cutting off the roots, it's done. So, thank you for preserving the roots for us. Alhamdulillah. Thank you all for coming. You get a round of applause, inshallah. Thank you.